you're just joining us and you haven't been here for a while or if you're visiting, we are going through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Um, we're, we'll be in chapter 3 today, starting on chapter 3. I want to start with a couple questions. And they're very serious questions, but I really ask that you reflect today. I really ask that you would honestly reflect today. Here's a question. What are you counting on to get you to God? What are you counting on for joy? And then getting to God and joy, the next question I would ask is, what are those worth to you? As we get into Philippians today, this chapter 3 of Philippians, it's a super heavy chapter. Um, I mean, I've read it a hundred times in my life, but then as I was studying it um, to teach, I realized, man, this is a weighty, weighty chapter for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. So I'm going to read. Uh, The first few verses here. We're going to go through verse 8. And then we're going to pray and then we'll dive in. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. It's no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, but whatever I gain... I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I want to pray real quick because there's a lot here. Um, And there's a lot of important stuff here. And I don't want to mess it up. Because it's very important. So let me just pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that it's so rich and you have so much to teach us through it. Um, God, just move me out of the way. Anything that I would have to say, opinions or or words that aren't, aren't from you, may they just vanish before they even hit ears. Um. Teach us through your word in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So we're going to go through this passage verse by verse. And here's what I want to tell you. In this church right now, God is moving and has been moving for months. Um, And he's been raising people up in this church. And he's been raising people up who've actually been following him for a while. But their lives have not counted for him and his kingdom. 
and he's raising them up among us right now. And it's exciting. If you look in verse 1, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. There's no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Basically, what we see in verse 1 here is the value of repetition, and not just repetition, but the value of repetition and rejoicing. And this just quickly to move through this, any of you guys know, have you ever been involved in any sports, music, a job, anything like that, that repetition is actually the key to success, right? We, we read this, you can't just automatically be good at something. If you're ever going to perfect something, if you're ever going to be great at something, you have to overcome the boredom of repetition. If you're not able to do that, you probably won't perfect something. And Paul says, rejoice repeatedly. Over and over. Do it over and over again. Why? Because there's safety in the habit of rejoicing. Now, how did Paul come to this conclusion? He came to this conclusion because he knew the Bible. There's a very famous passage. You probably see some of it on coffee cups here and there. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, reads, reads like this. Now, the people have just rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. They're hearing God's word for the first time, and they're just crying and sobbing, and their hearts are broken. And here's what Nehemiah says. He said, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. And here it is, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Paul says, repetition and rejoicing is safe for you because it is your strength. Daniel and I, when we were... Uh, getting ready to plant Hill City, we went out and met with a ton of pastors, as many as we could, uh, that were well-respected and, and what we thought were successful and were doing things uh, gospel-centered way. And one of the most prominent pastors that we met with, it was insane that he even let us in his office, but he did. One of the most prominent pastors we met with, I think Daniel will remember this, we were leaving, and he kind of gave us a final word. He said, men, um, don't let anyone steal your joy. He said, when that happens, you're done. Okay, so we, so we walked out. I was like, oh yeah, thanks, that was, that was deep, that was good. And then as I was studying this passage, I said, oh, to rejoice and have joy is safe. There's strength in that. That's what he, that's what he was saying. When someone steals that, we, our strength is gone. So Paul says, learn to rejoice in the Lord and do it over and over and over and over because it's safe for you. Verse 2, he even goes a little further. says, here's what, here's what you need to be safe from. He said, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So dogs, when, when Paul's talking about dogs here, basically he's talking about false teachers. But specifically, he's talking about Jewish false teachers. And what's funny, that's so Paul. If you know anything about Paul, he can be a little sarcastic. He can poke, right? And he calls these false teachers, dogs. Now, what you may not know is that what Jewish people called Gentiles back in the day, dogs. And Paul flips it on him and says, no, watch out for these dogs. Because here's what they were doing. These people were coming to Christ. Paul's leading these people to Christ. And just like in any congregation, dogs creep in. They're probably dogs at Hill City. You hear me? And what these dogs were teaching 
was, hey, I'm glad you're following the Lord. I'm glad you're saved. But if you really want to do this the right way, here's what you'll do. You'll actually be a Jew first, and then you'll follow Christ. This is what was being taught in this church right now. And Paul says, those guys teaching that, they're dogs. Watch out for them. He says, watch out for evildoers. And he goes even a little bit further. He says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. You probably read that. You're like, what in the world? Let's mutilate the flesh. And I know some of you are like, tattoos. You shouldn't get tattoos. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> so here's what happened. These guys were teaching. You need to become a Jew. If you really want to follow Jesus, do it the right way. You need to become a Jew. And to do that, guess what you have to do, Mr. Gentile male? You have to set up an appointment with Dr. Snip Snip. <laughs> and you need to be circumcised. If you're going to be a good Christian, you need to become a Jew. And to do that, you need to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, 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 listen. Physical circumcision without Jesus, that's mutilization. That's mutilation. And all the Gentile men in the room were like, yeah. <laughs> okay, now go with me here. Imagine this room. I'm just going to step away from this. Imagine the room, right? So Paul sends this letter, and he's like, hey, uh, you don't need to do that, right? So there are kind of like three groups of people in this room, especially men. You got group A over here who they, they believe this and already did it. And you have group over here, like they've got their, they've got their snip on the, on the schedule, right? <laughs> and then you've got this group of Jews who are teaching this group they needed to do that. I mean, what kind of dynamic was in this room at this time? You know, like there were guys on this side going like, Boop, 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 boop. Hey, Dr. Uh, so-and-so, I'm not coming in tomorrow. <laughs> I don't need that. Just got this letter from Paul. I don't need that. Well, that's what they were being taught. And Paul says, no, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh and those who teach you that you need to do that in order to get Jesus. Now, what's the point Paul is trying to make here? And this is for us. There's nothing... You and I can do physically to get the Spirit of God in our life. There's nothing we can do physically to earn God. So physical performance does not gain us righteousness. And to teach otherwise is anti-gospel. And to teach otherwise would make the person teaching it a dog. So here's my warning to Hill City. At our fingertips, our podcasts, our TV shows, our radio shows, our books. And I'll tell you the same thing Paul tells us. Watch out for dogs. Be careful and watch out for dogs. He goes on to verse 3. And here's what he says. He's not done talking about the circumcision thing. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. Here's what he's saying. We are the true circumcision. Here's the deal. He's saying, when we get saved, this is you and me, this is the people um, in, in, in Philippi. He's saying this, yes, you went under a knife. You were circumcised spiritually. Romans chapter 2 tells us, and he talks about a circumcision of the heart. Some of you that will ring a bell. Circumcision of the heart took place. And because of that circumcision of the heart, in verse 3, he says, now we can focus on Christ Jesus and not focus on ourselves. There's a recipe for joy. 
And he goes on to say, and put no confidence in the flesh, not my flesh, not your flesh. Later on in Romans, after chapter 2 and Romans chapter 7, he actually says, hey, in my flesh and in your flesh is nothing good. Nothing good. So what I want to tell you today, Hill City, with verse 3, is if you think you can live the life that God called you to live and you think you can do that on your own, you are hosed. You cannot. And the sooner that we realize we cannot do this on our own, the better. We're right where God wants us to be. So individuals sitting in chairs at Hill City, Hill City as a church, know this. We have to be totally dependent on Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul, in Paul's way, says, I'm not done. I'm going to take it even further. And here he is in verse 4 through 6, and this is huge. What Paul does in verse 4 through 6 is he takes a look at his life. And this is what I want us all to do here today. He takes a realistic assessment of his life. So we're going, to read this, we're going to read this passage. There are seven things that Paul mentions, seven things that he could count on. And here's what I would say to you. They're the same things that you and I tend to count on today. And sadly, they're the same things that you and I look to for our righteousness Now, these seven things we're going to read, they can actually be categorized into two groups. They can be categorized into things that were received and then things that were achieved. Things that were received and things that were achieved. And one theologian calls them the treasures of the wasted life. Treasures of the wasted life. Here they are. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, none of you have any reason to boast like I have a reason to boast. Here we go. Here's a resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. How about that resume? And some of you are like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so let me unpack it. One, circumcised on the eighth day. It's his birthright. It has to do with his family. Like he was born a Jew, been a Jew his whole life. He didn't have to convert to it later. He said, I was born this way. I've been this way my whole life. It goes a little further. He says, of the people of Israel. He's actually talking about his race, his nationality. And when it comes to race, let's just be honest, we're not that far removed in our country from people who actually believe that mattered to God, but we're beyond that. But how about nationality? Like, do we think that because we were born in the United States of America, that when we stand before the Lord, that's going to count? Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is speaking literally specifically to his family. The tribe of Benjamin was a very significant tribe. So the first king 
of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. The first Jewish king came from the tribe of Benjamin. You know what his name was? Saul. You know what Paul's name, before his name was Paul, before Jesus got a hold of him? Saul. It's very likely that he was named after Saul, as a bunch of boys would have been named after who came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was born into a significant family. So here's my question. Were you born into a great family? And a great place? You got a tight family? I do. I got a great family. I got a tight family. I married a girl who has a great family, tight family. Born into a wealthy family? I'll put my hand down there. <laughs> but some of you were. And here's the thing, like few things are more secure and more awesome and more solid than a tight family. Praise God if you're born in a tight family. Praise God if you're born into a great family. Praise God if you're born into a wealthy family. But let me make some points before we go to the next one. Here's the deal. If that's you, you're born into a great family. You're born into this country. You're born in southwest Missouri. Salt of the earth people. If that's you... Number one, you had nothing to do with it. Let's write that down. You had nothing to do with it. Number two, it's a blessing, praise God, but you were blessed to be a blessing. How's that looking? You were blessed to be a blessing. That is the number one reason you were born where and to whom you were born, to be a blessing. Praise God, be a blessing. And here's number three. This is a big one. No one rides anyone's coattail into glory. You get me? You will stand before the Lord. You. And you can look to your left and you look to your right. And here's the deal. Your mom and dad's not going to be there and your wife isn't going to be there and your husband's not going to be there. You will stand before the Lord and give an account. Those are all things he received. Well, let's talk about achievements. We're about achievements here, aren't we? He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, is the next thing he says. That's his religion. He's like, hey, you want to talk about what it is to be Jewish? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Nobody did Judaism like I did Judaism, Paul says. No one was better at it. And here's what I'll tell you. Some of you are great at church. Like, dude, this is Southwest Missouri. We do church. Nobody does church like Southwest Missourians do church. Are you counting on that? Well, I'm a member at Hill City Church. <laughs> so I was a preacher's kid, so I was always around funerals growing up. My dad did a lot of funerals. Um, it was a very common 
and a pretty normal question, not necessarily with the family, but if someone would pass away, it'd be like, a legitimate question would be, hey, did, did he know the Lord? It's a legitimate question. Did he know the Lord? Well, he was a, he was a member at First Baptist Simpletonville. It's not, what we, it's, not, it's not what I asked. Well, no, actually, he was Methodist. Um, oh, he was Lutheran. Oh, he's Catholic. He was Baptist. No, the question was, do you know Jesus? Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's nothing to count on. Religion has nothing to count on. He takes it further. Not just a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. Now here he could be talking about a lot of things. He could be talking about his position. Or he could have been talking about his education. Hey, Hill City, we're an educated group of people. We live in a university town. He could have been talking about his Bible knowledge. Here's the thing about Pharisees. If you don't know this, Pharisees kind of get a bad rap, right? These guys were studs. Like, Pharisees were studs. And we kind of rip on them like they were, they were these jerks, but they were very well respected. And deservingly so. Like, they believed the Bible. They knew the Bible. They memorized the Bible. They taught the Bible. Paul was actually educated at the feet of a guy named Gamaliel. He was like the number one Jewish scholar in the land. Like Ivy League Jew. says, I was a Pharisee. Furthermore, he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Now, what I have there is his character. And you're thinking, wait a minute here. He was like murdering dudes. Yes. Stay with me. Paul's saying this. I believed so much and I cared so much that I was the top agent of persecuting the church. You can go to Acts 7, the first New Testament martyr, Stephen. And guess who was overseeing that? In Acts 7, Paul. So what's I have to, man, you're saying that's good character? Stay with me. Paul actually believed what he said he believed, and he lived it out to the fullest. It's better than a lot of Christians I know. And it speaks to your character. He goes on, says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He had a flawless reputation. He lived the moral life. And he goes to verse 7. And he says, all these things, all these things... I had, and whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What are you counting on? I know some of you are like, man, I see this list. I'm like, Brad, you seem off base here, because here's what I'm seeing. Wait a minute. Good family, go to church, good job, know my Bible, have a good position in the community, have great character, have a flawless reputation, like, what are you getting at, dude? 
Like those sound like good things. Yes. Yes, they are. Hear me right here. It isn't bad things that keep most people from Jesus. It's good things that keep most people from Jesus. Like, don't raise your hand. Anybody come off a crack, right, before they met Jesus? Like, like no one running a whorehouse, right, before the Lord plucked them out of that. That's probably not most of our stories, right? We're probably out trying to support our families, focused on this, focused on that, focused on our job, focused on our career. Good things. And the Lord found us in that and said, hey, I've got more for you. That's probably most of our stories in here. And it was good things that were keeping us from Jesus. And Paul in verse 7 says, whatever I gain, I counted as lost for Christ. If you write in your Bibles, here's what I underline. Underline that word counted. It's the word count. It's actually probably the number three theme in this book, right? So you guys have been here with us. You know the number one theme would be joy and right joy. And the number two theme would probably be thinking or right thinking. This word count would probably be the number three theme. Now this word is an accounting term. Accounting. Like it's more than one, two, three, four, right? So in my house right now, I've got a six-year-old and I've got a four-year-old. Counting is a big deal in my house right now. Like we're doing it by fives now. It's big. Like we can do tens, we can do twenties, and it's just boys walking all over our house counting. That's not what this is talking about. If you think that's what this is talking about, here's what I'd ask. Let Brody do your taxes here in the next week or two. See how that goes. Talking about accounting. An accountant understands concepts of mathematics, yes. But even more than that, an accountant understands the assigning of value. And here's the thing about accounting. It's not based on subjective feelings. We have business owners in this room, right? So imagine business owners, or, or maybe you are an accountant for that matter. But so, so you have your accountant come in. It's like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's see where we are. Let's see where our company is. And, and business owners, their accountant comes in. It's like, all right, give it to me. Where are we? I need to hear some things about profit. I need to hear some things about our loss. I need to know about our expenses. And if your accountant goes, man, I just feel so good about your company. Okay. Give it to me. No, I, I, I just feel good about everything, man. Like, your company is awesome. Great. What about the numbers, dude? I didn't even worry about the numbers, man. Like, I didn't even do a spreadsheet. I didn't put a number in. I don't even think we need to do that. You know why? Because I feel so good about your company. Like, that accountant's getting fired. Yeah? Accountants work with things that are objective. They work with things that are tangible. 
And Paul, in verse 7, makes an objective, factually based assessment. And you don't do count, you don't count and you don't do accounting with emotions or feelings. But I will say this, your accounting is very much tied to your joy and to your thinking. And some of you, if you're really honest and you really do an accurate assessment of your life, year after year after year of joyous living, joyless living, rather, year after year, and what I would say is your accounting is off. says it again in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We saw this word back in chapter 2. It's the exact same word you see in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 6. I'll just turn back and read it. So Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. He uses the exact same word in verse 6. Talking about Christ, we'll start in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. So Paul is saying in verse 7 and 8, I, I took an assessment of, of my life. I looked at everything in my life, and here's what I did. I looked at things I had in the win column, and I looked at things I had in the loss column, and I deliberately took things that were in the win or the gain column, and I took them out of that column, and I put them in the loss column. In other words... Paul laid everything down. You hear Daniel talk about this all the time, the open-handed life. We come to Christ open-handed. Everything we have is lost compared to Jesus. So here's my question, Hill City. Is there anything in your life that you value more than Jesus? Are you struggling in your walk? Are you finding it hard to grow? There's a chance you might value something more than you value Jesus. So some of you are probably like, oh, I get this. I've heard this. I've heard this song and dance before. I know what you're getting at. Like, you're going to tell me next that I need to sell everything I own quit my job, give all the money to the church, go be a missionary on some remote island somewhere and never have a cell phone again in my life. I know what you're doing. You're setting me up. I've been Jesus juked like this before. I'm not saying that. That's probably not what is supposed to happen for most of us. But there is a question we have to ask. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? So of those seven things I mentioned, here's the thing about them. Like Paul made effective use of those things. Just because he counted them as lost didn't mean they didn't have value. So don't hear what I'm saying. I didn't say they were worthless. 
Just because he counted them as lost does not mean they didn't have value. They had value. It's just that Paul did not count on those things. Let's give you another example of Scripture. There's nothing that teaches the Bible like the Bible. It's amazing, okay? Let me give you another example of Scripture. Daniel mentioned Moses last week. I'm like, sweet, I get, I'm going to mention him again this week because... He opened the door. So Moses, right? Here's the context. If you remember, I'm just going to throw this out there. Cliff notes of Moses, right? Pharaoh says, kill all Jewish baby boys, right? Moses was a baby boy. So what his mom did is he made this basket, saved his life, put him in a river. He's floating down a river because he wanted to be saved. Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, the guy who said to kill all Jewish baby boys, his daughter is down by the river, sees this cute little baby crying, grabs him, says, oh, I love him. He's so beautiful. I want to be his mom. Dad, can I have this baby? Dad says, yes, you can have this baby. Therefore, Moses is raised in Egypt. A Jewish boy raised in Egypt. Now, go to Hebrews. It should be up on the board but, or on the screen. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Get down here where I can see it. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, even though he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That word, he considered, is the exact same word we read in Philippians. It says he counted. He counted the reproach of Christ greater. If you don't remember, Moses like sees somebody when he's grown up, he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of the children of Israel. And he, you know what he did? He walked over and he killed the guy. And then he's off and he's being a shepherd. He's back with God's people. He's back living the life that God wanted him to live. And he's a shepherd or a goat herder, whichever one makes you feel better to say. But either way, he's out on a hillside and he's a shepherd. You know what he had in his hand? He had a rod. Because that's what shepherds held. It was actually how they did their work. It would be like taking a hammer from a carpenter. But he had this rod. And God comes to him one day and says, I want you to do something. And Moses is like, I'm yours. Like, I'm, I've given my life to you, God. What do you want? And long story short, God says, hey, I see something in your hand. And Moses says, yeah, it's my rod. Like, this is, this is how I make my living. And God says, throw it on the ground. Moses obeyed him. He threw it on the ground. What's awesome is when he picked that rod back up, and I won't get into the story. It's pretty creepy. You can read it in Exodus. I don't want to scare the kids, but it's pretty awesome. Anyway, he picks the rod back up, and you know what happened? That rod became the power of God to Moses. Why did I tell you that story? He counted the riches of Egypt to be worthless compared to following God. And here's the thing, like Moses, many of us have dedicated almost all of our lives to God. And God's looking at us, and there we are, and we got this rod in our hand. And God says, hey, what you got there? A lot of new mamas in this church. What you got there, mamas? 
God says, hey, I'm gonna, I want that. I need you to lay that down. Our families, our careers, our businesses, our ministry, our stuff. So like 90% of us, we're yours, God. We got you here. We got you here, but God says, what's, no, 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 what's that in your hand? That's that open-handed life. And the reality is we've got this thing in our hand that we have not counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7 and verse 8. Something very interesting about verse 7 and verse 8. In verse 7, you see a past tense verb. I counted. In verse 8, you see two times a present tense. I count. I don't believe there are coincidences in Scripture. I think there's a very real reason that those verses are written the way they are. But whatever again, I had counted, verse 7, as lost for Christ. And then in verse 8, indeed, I count everything as a loss. Later on he says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And many of us who've been going to church for years, you're like, yeah, man, I, I followed Christ. I gave my life to Christ. Awesome. Are you still giving it to him? Like I know at salvation you counted things as loss. The question is, do you continue to count things as loss. Every decision you make, every decision I make, depends on some way our system of values, or another way to say that, every decision we make depends on how we count. And some of you are counting incorrectly, and you've been counting incorrectly for years. And because of that, your life is not counting for Christ and his kingdom. What are you counting on? Your religion? Your church attendance? It's funny, all over America right now there are people who decided one day, you know what, I need to get my life right. You know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start going to church. And they've done it. And you know what, they feel really good about it. Bravo. That's what you're counting on when you stand before God? Well, I'm just counting on, uh, this, this is a big one. I'm telling you, if we went on the streets and we interviewed people, say, hey, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, how are you going to get there? Well, I just think I'll just be a good person. Like, that's a very common answer. Just going to be a good person. See how it works out. What's funny is Jesus squashed that. Like, he totally squashed that. If you, Luke chapter 18, there's a rich young ruler. He's like, Jesus, Jesus, good. Oh, he actually says, good teacher, good teacher. What do I got to do to go to heaven? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't even talk about eternal life. He said, wait a minute. Why are you calling me good? Nobody's good except for God. And we think, oh, I'm just going to be a good person. So what are you counting on? Here's what the Bible teaches us. 
the only way you and I are getting to heaven, the only way you and I are getting to God, the only thing that we can count on is when the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ counts as ours. Like the only thing we can count on is when God looks at Jesus and he takes his righteousness and takes it from Jesus' column and puts Jesus' righteousness in our column. It's the only way. It is the only way. It is the only way. For that to happen, here's what the Bible says. You've got to believe in your heart. You've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. Jesus who is who he says he is. That takes faith. That's what the Bible calls faith. And then what God will do, that's important, what God will do then is that then he will lead you to what's called repentance. Faith and repentance. And repentance is to change the direction of your life. You can't do it on your own. God will do that in you. Faith and repentance. That is the only thing that we can count on.